0: Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. i to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12, verse 23. When you're there, if you would, uh, stand with me thank you uh worship team we appreciate your ministry this morning just kind of be on you can go but just kind of be on standby for me uh here um please as we uh, work through the service today Uh, when you're at acts i'm sorry exodus chapter 12 verse 23 stand with me once you found your place there and we'll read together the word of uh, the Lord. Look at verses 23 through 28. I want to speak to you over these next few Sundays about looking to the future, looking to the future. Uh, You have a bulletin. Uh, I hesitate to, um, there's so many uh, things there that are important. Uh, I do want to remind you of prayer. Uh, the National Day of Prayer is uh, this Thursday. The church will be open uh, from uh, 6 to 6. Is that right, uh, Sister Autumn? Uh, NIMS is helping to coordinate that. And uh, all day, please come by and spend some time here in prayer. Someone will be here during all of those hours uh, interceding, and you're certainly welcome to come. The facility will be open uh, to come and pray Uh, the Senior Luncheon on Friday at 11, and RDI on Saturday at 9. Um, I encourage you uh, to make effort for both of those uh, events. And uh, then marking your calendar for Sunday evening, May 22nd at 5 p.m., which will be our Riverstone Family Gathering. Uh, We'll have a meal together, and we'll talk about the direction of the church, uh, please mark your calendar for that and make plans to be here on the 22nd, if at all possible. The word of the Lord in Exodus chapter 12, verse 23, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall observe this rite. And when your children say to you, what does this rite mean to you? You shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes." And the people bowed low and worshiped and the sons of Israel went and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did Lord. We thank you for the public reading of scripture. We thank you Lord for the opportunity uh, to come together and fellowship with the body of Christ to truly be the body of Christ. And I pray God that you will help us towards that end. Uh, Lord, uh, Help us as we look to your word and to what you would speak to us today through the Spirit. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Be seated. There's a saying that goes something like this as those who do not understand or know history, Uh, are bound to repeat it. Those who don't understand or know history are bound to repeat it, Uh, in essence, bound to repeat uh, the challenges and the difficulties of history. If you don't learn from your experiences of the past, you're kind of bound to uh, repeat those things. And so uh, in the scriptures, often there were times and places where God would say, remember this, remember this aspect, remember this event, remember uh, this that I have done for you. And he would uh, help them to set up various memorials or uh, points of uh, remembrance in order to uh, think about or reflect on uh, what it meant for God to do a deliverance. And the thing that I'm always reminded about uh, in this is that uh, God often did these mighty things for one generation, and that one generation was required to tell generations that came after it. So, uh, for instance, if you have seen the mighty work of the Lord in your generation, that work may not happen in the next generation. Just like the deliverance, Uh, of the Israelites out of the land of Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea happened in one generation and that one generation was required to tell all the other generations about it. Uh, They did not get to experience that mighty miracle but there was a responsibility to say, this is what happened and there was a responsibility to create situations in which the generation coming up would actually ask questions about what had previously uh, happened. So, I um, you know I think about my own personal uh, family family history, and this is one of the things um, of my mom's that I uh, got out of uh, her uh, belongings when she passed away, and what it it shows is her her Bible, uh, which this one was, uh, it's interesting, this one was the uh, New New American Standard and the Message parallel. (laughs) So on one side was the New American Standard, on the other side was uh, the Message, and you can kind of see she had uh, kind of marked it up and in the back had written a lot of notes uh, about what she was learning in uh, the Scriptures. And in in the front, she has the Roman road to uh, salvation, uh, she has where, when this Bible, she started using it. Uh, there was a note I found of prayer requests that uh, she had written and stuck in the Bible. And one of the prayer requests was for us, was for this, this church that was written on on this list, uh, along with, with other things that uh, she had written. So this this Bible is a means for me to look back um and remember you know, things that I, I want or interactions with my mom that I won't experience anymore uh, this side of eternity, but it's also uh, to remind me of some things going forward, to remind me of some heritage that I have that points me in the direction of uh, the future. If I were to uh, go a little farther back in um, my... My history, I would actually find uh, this old Bible that I'd I'd like to get restored at some point um, that was actually uh, back in my mom's family. It goes back to the late 17 and early 1800s. I won't won't open it up here, but inside is marriage dates and death dates uh, that were written out of people back uh, in uh, the family. So this, this is kind of a memorial that I hope to get fixed up a little better, and to pass that on uh, to my children uh, as well. And then on my dad's side, there was another uh, family Bible that was given that also goes back to uh, the um, late... 17 and 1800s. And what's interesting about about this one is that it actually has family pictures in it uh, that unfortunately aren't marked. So I don't know exactly who these people are. They're in the family somewhere. You know, you always got those people. <laughs> uh, but these are at least uh, Civil War or before because On the back, there was the tax stamp uh, that you had to have if you got portraits back then. Uh, You had to have a tax stamp on it in order to pay the tax to help pay uh, for the Civil War. And so that's on the back of these, again, with marriage and death dates, kind of a memorial in my life that I look back at on both sides of uh, my family. And we all probably have those. I'm illustrating from my family, but everyone probably has those sorts of memorials or things that uh, remind us uh, about our family history and what it means and things that we can kind of go back to. And uh, in my case, in the one side of the family, think of of what it meant in in history uh, to be a McCready and uh, uh, what that sense of following the Lord was and what it meant on my mom's side to be a Harding and and what a sense of following the Lord was and then what that meant to my mom and what that means to us as a family uh, moving forward, a memorial that I kind of can look Back to, from time to time, about what God is uh, has done in my past, but also what points me to uh, the future. And so, this passage in Exodus is actually uh, one that is uh, very important because it talks about the Israelites' exodus out of Egypt. And you'll recall. Maybe you recall, hopefully you recall, in February of last year, I rehearsed for you kind of the history of uh, the Israelites in a message. We sort of started out and went sort of line upon line through the history of uh, the Israelites. And I won't, I won't go back through that today and how they got to the promised land, but I do want to rehearse for you the final portion of that, that as the Israelites were coming out of uh, out of Egypt. Uh, the Lord, as you recall, parted the Red Sea and they were headed to the promised land that was, uh, that was promised to Abraham so many years before. And they sent spies into the land to see how they could conquer uh, Canaan. And the spies spent uh, 40 days in the land of Canaan, and of those spies who went, all of them came back fearful of what the future held, what the future could hold, except for two of them, Joshua and Caleb. And so the 10 spies who were the fearful spies who didn't want to go in, they stirred up the people to just stay where you are. Don't do anything. Just wait. Don't Think about what God has already done and the miraculous deliverance from Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea and the cloud of fire uh, uh, by night and the pillar of cloud by day. Don't think about all those mighty things. Just know that where you're going is too difficult for you. And those 10 spies prevailed upon the rest of the Israelites and God forced them to wander in the wilderness, just kind of cycling around. 40 years. If in in the back of your Bible, some of you might have maps and it might show that wilderness wandering and they're just kind of, that's exactly what it is, just sort of wandering around in the wilderness until the generation that was fearful died out and all of those of the next generation were able to arise and take leadership. And so when the 40 years were complete, Uh, Joshua, who was the successor to Moses, led the people to enter into the promised land. And as they entered into uh, the promised land, they had to cross the Jordan River. In Joshua uh, chapter 3, God commanded the priests to take up the Ark of the Covenant and to step in the Jordan. And uh, Joshua 3 and 13, it says, and it will come about When the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan will be cut off. That is the waters which are flowing down from above and they will stand in one heap. Verse 15 and 16 says, And when those who were carrying the ark came up to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the ark stepped down into the edge of the waters. And the waters which were flowing down from, from above stood and rose up in one heap. And so they were, they were having to pass through the Jordan. And unlike what seems to have happened with the Red Sea, where there was water on each side in the Jordan, the water just kind of heaped up on one end. And the children of Israel passed into uh, the promised land. And as they were passing into the promised land, the priests were standing with the ark and their feet were on the stones of the, the, the riverbed. And Joshua, by the command of the Lord, had people go in and take 12 stones from off the riverbed in the place where the priests were standing. So the place where they were standing, he wanted some stones out of the middle of the river and to be brought over to the other side to build an altar to the Lord and to remember the Lord's faithfulness. That's actually where our name as a congregation comes from, Riverstone Church. It's actually out of that particular passage where the priests were standing in the middle of the Jordan and the stones were taken from that spot in order to make an altar of remembrance of the things that God has done. And while we didn't really ask, I, I, I'm not quite sure where the idea came from, but what is, is interesting is that throughout our history at important times actually pick stones up from certain spots. So when the church was first being talked about, I think uh, the first one was uh, in an office at Toby's and there was a stone picked up from that location. And that, you'll see some of these stones are, or all of these stones are numbered uh, and uh, because there's notes that go along with them to say where they came from. And so first stone in a Second stone was a place where uh, we met for the first time as, as a people worshiping together. And another stone was brought along at a time when uh, we were worshiping and a planning meeting was taking place. And uh, I, I, another stone was taken from another place of worship and brought along uh, and when we didn't know where we were going to go, uh, we, had no, we had had a, a week to figure out, you know, where are we going to meet? Uh, because the, the, the pandemic had shut things down, and we found a, a church that opened. A stone was brought from there. A stone was brought from the Earliesville uh, fire hall where we met for a few weeks, and uh, other stones from other locations that were brought along. And the point of this is that we're going we're gonna to carry these stones, actually. We're going to take them with us. If God doesn't leave us here at Insurance Lane, we'll pick them up, and we'll carry them with us to wherever God takes us at our next location. And when God finally provides for us maybe a, a, a permanent place to call home or a more permanent place to call home, we'll take these stones and we'll put them in a strategic spot because what we would like to see is the next generation come along and ask you or me what is the meaning of this create an opportunity to say what why did this happen what is the importance of this why are these specific stones brought together in order to uh, uh, build whatever it is that will be built out of it. And then you and I will be able to say, it's because of the mighty hand of the Lord. Because one of the things that I found in being a part of Riverstone Church is that God has always provided for us. When we didn't know from one week to the next what was going to happen or where we were going to go when uh, you're starting a church in the middle of the pandemic and no one even knows if you're going to be able to go to church. Is the government going to come and shut you down? Are police going to show up? Who knows? You don't know. It was all new to everybody at that point. And so you didn't know. But what we saw throughout the history is the mighty hand of the Lord. Rocks of Remembrance places to remember of why we began and how we began as a people of prayer. You see, that was one of the things of starting in the middle of a pandemic is it pushed us to prayer. We knew that we didn't have the answers, but we had to see God for the answers. I didn't have the answers. A lot of experience in the past, a lot of you know, other things that kind of would say, oh, kind of you should know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what direction to go. And yet God faithfully led one step in front of the other. To be a church where hurting people were restored. To be a place where when people came along, they saw in these rocks places where there were some hurting moments, but we saw God do a work. We saw God in his mighty power bring restoration and God bring healing and God take people from the bottom of the barrel and lift them up to a place of ministry to serve him faithfully. And I want to tell you today, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what circumstance or situation, don't allow the enemy to speak to you and say, you'll never do anything for God. God does his best work with people who are at the bottom of the barrel because they realize I can't do it in my own strength. I can't do it in my own power. I can't do it in my own might. God, you have to do something. So if you come and you say, hey, I'm at the bottom of the barrel, let's rejoice and dance like our sister Dolores, because it's as low as you can go and you can only look up and God has a plan and a purpose. One of the other things that I believe that God has spoken to us to remember is that you and I are a family. As a pastor, um, it's hard, easy, it's easy to get caught up in the comparison game, comparing us to other churches or other fellowships or ones that are uh, larger and different circumstances, different opportunities, compare, compare, and What the Lord has truly been speaking to me lately is that this is different because the purpose of one of the purposes of this church is to be a family, to be a family. And, you know, you have kooky people in a family, okay? (laughs) But you learn to get along because you're family, your family, you say, you, you know, I, I remember, I mean, I, I could tell you stories. I mean, and they would be fully verified. I come from a kooky family. <laughs> and yet I can remember as a young boy, the entire family coming together and having times together that were fun and enjoyable, even though you knew hey, it's going to be, you know, just some, you know, you just got over it. And you saw people as people because this is family. And you do stuff for family. And Riverstone has to be a family. We've got to be a family together. And so what that means is that, uh, that we have to be real with one another. We've got to be open with one another. and That you should never feel alone. You should never feel off by yourself, alone, struggling, alone. And you should be happy when someone comes to you when maybe you haven't been faithful in church or they've seen you sad a long time or they sense by the discernment of the Holy Spirit that something's going on and someone comes to you and say, hey, I'm going to help pick you up and you're, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not, I'm not going to let you go. I've, I've experienced that in church before or I've seen a, 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 a brother kind of begin to bolt for the door and another brother say, I'm not letting you go. I'm not letting you go. You see, that's what the church is about, but the the spirit of the day wants you and I to uh, just kind of be one among the crowd. Be content to be one among the crowd, slip in, slip out, slip in, slip out. Slip in, slip out. Between me and Jesus, these people, I'm just coming here for some reason, but slip in, slip out, slip in, slip out, slip in, slip out. And someday you slip out and you're gone a month and nobody notices. I don't want that. I, w- I would like for you to notice when I'm not here, <laughs> to pray for me and to think if I'm not here three or four weeks, what's going on? What's happening? Why, why is this happening? I want that for you because I believe that is what the Lord is calling us to be and who the Lord is calling us to be. This passage in Exodus four shadows really what is set before you this morning in these communion tables, which is why I, uh, uh, I wanted to share with you communion at a later time in the service this morning. Uh, So we're going to approach communion together in just a few moments and the offering as well as an act of worship as we leave. Uh, uh, The the ushers will be in the back. You can give as uh, we exit uh, this morning as an act of worship. They'll be leading us in worship during that time. But I want you to think about uh, communion particularly because it relates to this idea of memorial and remembrance. Uh, we just finished the, or, or uh, walked through together the Easter uh, season or resurrection uh, season. And during that time, as we think upon uh, the death of our Lord, and particularly that last week of his passion, many people believe that uh, the communion that, that we have uh, together, the uh, the bread and uh, the the fruit of the vine that is here ready and prepared for you. That this was actually what Jesus was having with his disciples was the Passover Seder. Many believe that that, that is what this uh, meal was. It was part of a Passover Seder uh, with the with the disciples. And in that Passover Seder, if you've been with us when we've done uh, Seder before, what you'll recall is by the end of the evening, you kind of get filled up with, in our case, grape juice. You know, you're kind of the, pouring these cups throughout uh, the evening because there's actual four cups in that Seder meal that kind of walk along an idea. And the purpose of Seder is for the next generation, to teach the next generation what is uh, happening, what has happened, and what is going uh, to come. And so there's four cups in that Seder meal. The, the cup of sanctification is first, uh, and, and the thought is, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. The second is the cup of judgment. I will deliver you from their bondage. The third is uh, the cup of redemption, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And the fourth is the cup of praise. I will take you for my people and I will be your God. And so what many people believe was happening on that night Uh, before Jesus died is that him and the brethren were uh, together at the table and that there was a a cup, there was bread that would have been broken. And and part of that was in order to remember way back what we read right in the beginning was that Exodus uh, chapter 12 and verse 23, that deliverance out of Egypt. that's what the Seder kind of walks them through was that deliverance out of Egypt. And so while this, the scripture doesn't uh, mention, they probably would have had a cup together early, a, a second cup together. And the third cup is the cup that was taken after supper. Even in the modern uh, Jewish Seder meal, the third cup is the one that's taken after supper. And that's why scripture clearly says it was the third cup after supper, uh, the Scripture says it was, that it was the cup after supper, which we believe is the third cup, that Jesus said, uh, this is my body and this is my blood. So, when we come to the communion table together, one of the things that we're remembering is that third cup, which is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And it's fitting because this was the cup that was the night before Jesus died on the cross, which is where his blood was shed and our redemption was purchased. That's the, the beauty of this, that as we come to the table for us once a month, uh, maybe we ought to do it more, but as we as we come to the table together, one of the things that we're remembering is our redemption as believers and being brought into the family. And Jesus says to his disciples after the third cup, he says, I'm not going to drink any more of the fruit of the vine until I do this anew with you in my kingdom. Now, imagine today if we were to have a church fellowship meal Uh, together, and we were to have the the appetizer and the salad and the entree meal, and we saw the dessert sitting on the table, and we were to just say, we're going to do that at some point in the future. Well, I can tell you what the McCready kids would be longing for. (laughs) They'll be waiting for that day in the future when the dessert table is going to be opened up. Well, communion is a way of remembering what God has done. God God has uh, brought us out from the burden of sin. He has delivered us from bondage. He has redeemed us. That's what communion brings us to, this understanding that by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, by his power, by his shed blood, he has redeemed us on the cross. But communion also says to us that the meal is not finished. It's not just a point of remembrance of what has been done, it is a point of looking forward to what will happen. So when I come to the table and I receive the elements, I am I am thankful for what Jesus has done. I rejoice in his shed blood upon the cross. I am grateful that he took my place, that his punishment and shame that was born upon upon the cross was originally for me that the wrath of god was poured out upon him i rejoice in that and my heart is 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 torn over that because of what has happened but my heart also rejoices that the meal is not finished and i look forward to hope for the cup of praise that i will take you for my people, and I will be your God. When we take communion, we're looking back to the grace of Jesus, but we're also looking forward to the soon coming King. We're also looking forward to that day when he welcomes all of us around the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we are all brought back together and then he takes the final cup when he drinks it with us anew in his kingdom, as he said he would do. The communion is distinctly Christian. This is why You often hear us say, you need to be a believer. You need to have faith in Jesus. You need to be trusting Jesus for your salvation when you come to the communion table. And it's why we give space for that. That if you haven't trusted Jesus, trust him today. Trust him before you come. Don't come to the table if you're not trusting Jesus. Because this is a family event. And the family, the way we get into the family is not by blood of a mom and dad. The way we get into this family is by the blood of the Lord. And so in order to come and be part of this family, we all have to be part of the same blood. We have to have the same, the song used to say is, his royal blood now flows through my veins. You and I must have that same royal blood flowing through our veins. That's why we say if you come to the table, be part of the family. Come to the fellowship. Because there's going to be a day when the whole family gathers together. and We eat around the table of grace. And we are enjoying the benefit of what it means to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That act of truly communing with Jesus during these few moments. So as I had thought and prayed about our time together today, I felt for myself, I needed to be reminded of the grace of what it means to come to this table. When I was in Bible college, one of the things that uh, we had to do for some of our assignments was to visit different churches and to kind of get an idea or understanding of what it was like to visit different churches. And there was an Episcopal church in town, and that was one of the ones that uh, we were required to visit. And when I went to the Episcopal church, one of the things that I noticed, again, this was my first time being there, and this was uh, kind of back in the 90s, so predating a lot of the uh, social things that have happened in many denominations um, over the last few years, so uh, earlier than that. Uh, one of the things that I noticed, it's just the way that they uh, respected the holy things of the Lord. The act of communion and the, re- the respect that was given to the elements and to the spaces and other things. Now, what I surmise is that much of that has simply become ritual. And because it was new to me, I saw it in a different light than what many of those who were there every Sunday saw it as. And that's what can happen to us as well when we come to communion. Um, and I know there's reasons and, and you should, if you feel comfortable taking these, you should. But even this, the crinkling of the paper and other things sort of kind, of kind of bring down the sacredness of this moment in our minds, if we allow it, if we allow it. But when you and I come to the table, we come as family, and this is why we do it together. We ask you to come and hold the elements until everyone is served because we want everyone to eat it together. We want everyone to participate together because we're united in this. We are family in this. This is important for us. So that's a thought as we come to the table this morning that I'd like you uh, to bring. One, you're looking back to what has happened, to the grace that has been extended to you and to me in the past, but we are also looking forward to what is to come. Our time of prayer helps us to confess, if there's any sin, confess. I think it's a great time to think and to reflect upon yourself, to examine your heart, to think about where you are, and to right now in this moment, pray and ask God for forgiveness or grace or mercy or salvation or whatever it is to pray in this moment. That when you come to the table, you can rejoice with hands lifted high and joy in your heart that the cup of redemption is coming nigh to you. That what God did so long ago has happened personally in your life. And that as you take the cup of redemption, you're looking forward then to the cup of praise. You're looking forward to the coming kingdom. And enjoying this anew with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Uh, we are going to pray together. I'm, uh, for musicians, if you uh, can come here and begin uh, uh, continuing to create that atmosphere of, of worship here in the sanctuary. First, we're going to pray. And all I'm going to ask is that you truly pray. It is a time to examine ourselves and examine our our hearts before the Lord. Maybe your prayer is simply a prayer of thanksgiving. God, thank you for what you have done. Thank Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me and redeeming me. Thank you, Jesus, for that grace you have shown in my life. Maybe your prayer is a prayer of salvation. Maybe you're continuing to question, maybe you've never come into relationship with the Lord. The Bible is very clear that today is a day of salvation. God desires to draw near to you if you will draw near to him. He's simply a breath away, crying out to him, "He will hear you." And He will respond. He will forgive you of your sin, cleanse you from your iniquity. He will deliver you. He will bring you into the kingdom. I'm going to ask that we would take the next few moments and maybe as you stand where you are, maybe you want to kneel for a few moments to find a posture of prayer and try to block out whatever Things may be in your mind in these next few moments, except for praying and seeking the Lord and allowing Him to speak into your life. Before we come together to receive the elements, let's spend some time examining ourselves, as the scriptures say, before the Lord. Let's pray together. And again, find a posture that is comfortable for you in uh, seeking the Lord as we pray together this morning. Jesus as we have as we are crying out to you individually we also cry out to you corporately we often see in the scriptures that there are times when people not only confess their own sin not only examine their own hearts but they confess the sin of their people So, Lord, today I begin with confessing the sin of us as a group of people who gather together, Lord Jesus. God, God, if there are times when we have misstepped, when we have missed the mark, I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us. God, if we have not been sensitive to the move of your Spirit, that you would forgive us, Lord. God, I pray that you would forgive us at times when, we're, when we want to look to our own affairs more than your affairs. Could consumed in the rat race of the world. To take the time that's necessary to simply sit at your feet. God, I pray for us as a people. Reminded of a conversation this week with Sister Autumn Nims, and she said the Lord had put in her heart the word awaken for us. Pray, Lord Jesus, that you awaken us, Lord. I, I believe. I, I have, God. I have this this hope within me that we're at the moment of the breaking of dawn, when the light of the sun crests the horizon. Lord, I believe you've heard our prayers and our cries, Lord, for our community. I. I believe that you've heard our prayers and our cries for the people of our state and of our country and around the world. I believe, Lord, that you've heard our cries, God, and I believe that dawn is breaking. Awaken us, O God. Awaken us to the glory that awaits. Awaken us, O God, to the goodness that is ahead. Awaken us, Lord Jesus, to the good things that you are doing. Awaken us, O God. As your people, awaken us, God. God, I pray for, I pray, God, that you would forgive us, forgive the sins of our city, of this area, Lord. I pray, God, you forgive us when people have been treated unjustly, Lord, I pray you would forgive us we've turned a blind eye to those who are hurting and wounded. God, I pray you would help us to be a beacon of hope for those who have so much less than us God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, individually for using us despite our shortcomings. I thank you, Lord, for using us as a church to be a blessing. God, I remember back to the early days of the pandemic. God, somehow, God, you provided. You provided masks and gloves when nobody else could get them. God, we were able to be a blessing to people to give out, Lord, by the thousands, masks and gloves just on the side of the street But <laughs> people didn't know. People wondered, "Why? Well, I, I get this. Will I live? Will I live through it? God, you helped us to be a blessing. Only you could do that. God, you have helped us to make a connection somehow with someone who has shown us favor at Kroger, Lord, of all places. be able to give food out, to be able to use it as an opportunity to share the gospel, to be able to couple feeding the stomach with feeding the soul, to build relationships. God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Only you could do that. And so God, today, when we come for communion, unified together we do so knowing our sins are forgiven we do so knowing that through the cross that our redemption has been purchased we have been reconciled to god and we come together lord with optimistic hope for the future that your glory will cover the earth that there will be a day when you will set things right that all eyes will look upon you and in that moment every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that there is but one Lord and his name is Jesus We receive these elements this morning with optimistic hope in the future. So God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer today. We exalt in you and we thank you for your grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.